And you're very welcome to Tuesday's programme. How are things with you? Are you well? What a glorious day it has been today in the northwest of the UK. It's been fine around the country, right across the UK. It is the 17th of May, 2022. David Vance, the editor of altnewsmedia.net. David joins the programme. This hour, can't wait to chat with him. And the last American vagabond himself, Ryan Christian, will be on with me a bit later on. It's Tuesday's programme. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Yes, as usual, there is a lot to talk about on The Richie Allen Show. You can join in via the website Comment Live. I think you know that by now, but I'm going to tell you every single day for the rest of your life in any case. Comment the bejesus out of me at richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, fighting music, that. Fighting music. Lovely. All righty, then. Tell me this and tell me no more. Did you remember to go on Twitter today to congratulate the young professional football player for coming out of the closet? Did you? Did you? Did you? Did you remember to tell the young man that he is a hero and an inspiration? No? No? Tell him, Mickey. What are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? Get on there. Do it. Do it. Get on there. Jake Daniels is the boy's name. Tell him he's amazing for coming out and that he's going to progress everybody and football. Do you know what? You'll get 50 social credit points for telling Jake Daniels that he is an amazing hero for announcing his gayness. You'll get double points, in fact. That's the way it's going to be in the future. People will remind you, hey, do you know it's two for one on Twitter today? What do you mean? What do you mean two for one? Well, it's double points. Yeah, yeah. Ed Sheeran has just announced that he's non-binary. Now, if you get onto Twitter and tell him that you totally support him and agree with him and he's a hero and he's amazing, you'll get double social credit points. You'll get two tickets to see Maverick at the uh, at the cinema. That's Top Gun 2. That's how it's going to be. Your mother, if you've just left home, you know you just left home, your mother won't leave you alone. Did you do your washing? Did you change your bed? Did you, you dirty bastard? That's the way the mother is when you leave home. In the future, she'll be like, did, did you top up your social credit points? No. Did you? The girl who hosts Blue Peter. Yeah, she's uh, she's just come out as trans. Yeah, get on there and, and signal your virtue. Signal your virtue. Uh, this is about 17-year-old Blackpool player Jake Daniels. Came out of the closet. Youth team player. He's played for the youth team. He's only 17. In fact, he made his Blackpool first team debut some stage this season. I have no idea. The media's gone mad. The media has gone mad about this guy, Jake Daniels. Hang on, hang on a second. What, what is it, Jack? Who the fuck is PFC William T. Santiago? Jake Daniels, I said. His name is Jake Daniels. He's a 17-year-old footballer. And he's come out of the closet and he's a hero. We should all be proud of him. That's his name. He announced he's gay. Why did he do that? Well, 
We can hear from the man himself. He spoke to Sky Sports News. Why did you do it, Jake? Why did you tell us you're gay? It's been such a long time of lying. Um, and I've just... Pro lying? Processed and processed every day of just about how I want to do it, when I want to do it. And I think now is just the right time to do it. You know, I feel like I'm ready to tell people about my story. I want people to know the real me. Tell people about your story? You want people to know the real you? And lying all the time, this isn't what I've wanted to do and it has been a struggle, but now I just do feel like I'm ready to be myself, be free and just be confident with it all. The day I told my mum my sister, the day after we played Accrington and I scored four, so it just shows how much of a weight off the shoulders it was and just a massive relief. Right, he wants to stop lying and it's finally time to tell us his story. Now I'd like to say that I was looking forward to the day when Jake Daniels finally told his story, but I never fucking heard of Jake Daniels until today. Day, so I wasn't really waiting for his story. Little bollocks. What? What's going on? Have you seen it on social media, on the news? People crying, people coming out of the woodwork, ex-footballers, current footballers, politicians, prime ministers, even the Duke of Cambridge. So proud of you, Jake, for telling us that you're gay. Lovely. Wow. Let's have a listen to LBC Radio uh, James O'Brien, surprisingly enough. Uh, he had a gay listener on today, and, uh, well, everything is just wonderful now. James is in Borenwood. James, what would you like to say? Hi, James. Well, firstly, thank you very much for shining a light on, on this topic. Um, what? What topic is he shining a light on? I'm a gay person myself. You're a gay man. There's no such thing as a gay person. Um, and I've talked to lots of my peers about their, you know, the trauma of coming out and... The trauma of coming out in this day and age? And of course it's easier in 2022 to come out than it was, as you said, in, in the 90s. Yes. It damn well is easier than it was in the 90s. I should know. No, no, I shouldn't. I'm straight. I'm straight. I swear. Uh, can't help but think, like, the world of sport, football in particular, is just not a safe space for members of the LGBT community. Football isn't a safe space for members of the LGBT community. Where is this community? What's the capital city of the LGBT community? Does it have a national anthem? Everybody dance now, maybe. Does it? How is football not a safe space for LGBTQ++++++++ people? Tell us. You're from, you know, I'm not a, a, a huge football fan myself. You're not even a football fan. Well, what the fuck would you know about it then? But I just, from, from the sidelines, it just feels riddled with toxic masculinity. From the sidelines, it feels riddled with toxic masculinity. It's just, it's intimidating. What, what, for people it's who don't... Intimidating football police. I don't know what that phrase means. Can you just unpick it for me? I'm, I'm, I'm not being, you know I'm not being um, gotcha-ish. Just, just... We know, because you're lovely, James. We know you're lovely. We know you're not being gotcha-ish. You really want to know what he means by toxic masculinity. What does he mean by toxic, to toxic masculinity? What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? What does the young man think it means? Well, to, the young gay man. To me, I, I'm sure it means lots of different things to different yes. people, but for me, it, it's this whole masco... Um, masco? Butch. Butch? Footballers? Football fans? Give me a break. Um, you know, chanting and screaming. Chanting and screaming? What the fuck do you think goes on at football matches? I'll tell you what goes on at football matches. You fucking idiot, referee! You fucking idiot! That's what goes on. Is that toxic? With pints of beers in your hand. Uh, talk With pints of beer? Talking about girls. Talking about girls. Really? 
you know what? I, I go to watch Salford City. I, I've been to watch Manchester United youths. I, I've been to watch Salford Red Devils play rugby league. Nobody is talking about girls. They're just not. I swear to God and his son Jesus. It's all... You fucking idiot, ref! You fucking idiot! Are you blind? That's what goes on at football matches and rugby matches. Uh, and women and who they may or may not have slept with the night. Nobody at football is talking about shagging women, I swear to God. Before That's because none of us gets the shag. Or falling out of, you know, nightclubs and cows and it's just... We don't talk about falling out of nightclubs either. What sort of fucking bullshit is this? not. Well, I don't want to stereotype, of course, but... But you've just stereotyped stereotyped hundreds of millions of men who go to football, many of them with their children or their wives or girlfriends. Ah, come on! Men don't join in with that conduct either and and find it as as, as repellent as you do. And oddly, you know, I know... I don't find it repellent. First of all, it doesn't go on. James O'Brien nearly did a good thing there. You know, he did the, well, a lot of men go and they, they don't carry on like that, but uh, they find it repellent too. I, I've never really come across that at football, but even if I did, I wouldn't find it repellent. Boys will be boys when boys are on their own with other boys. Sometimes they talk bullshit. We've all done it. Lied about our sexual conquests. Lied about our salaries. Lied about, well, any number of things because you're with the lads. But it doesn't go on at football. It's a very sanitised place these days. How do you know that, you big baldy fucker? I'll tell you I know. Because these days when you go to a football match, you are bombarded by, 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 by messages on the big screens urging you to report misogyny, to report homophobia, to report racism, to report necrophilia. Not necrophilia, they've never said that. And they give you a fucking number. Nobody says anything at football matches these days. They're shit scared they'll get banned for life. Honest to God. Text 06320. Reported now. And some poor fucker might say something three seats down. You might only get half of what he was saying. You know, he might have been saying, um, that black actor, that black a- actor, I can't think of his name, but he's very good. And all you hear is that black knacker, that black knacker. So you text in straight away, yes, uh, Zero six three six zero. Yes, there's a guy four seats down. He's wearing a red scarf and 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 a, and a red bandana. Um, he 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 called black people knackers. And the way it works these days is, within minutes, fucking idiots wearing high vis jackets will lift the guy out of his seat and eject him from the stadium. He'll get no opportunity to defend himself. So nobody is carrying on like like lads in the pub at football matches, not in 2022. It, no, it, and, and it lots of straight men don't join in with that conduct either and, and find it as, as, as repellent as you do. And oddly, I, I you know, I know I've got gay friends who, who are kind of, obviously they don't talk about their sexual conquests of women in the way that you describe, but mm. they are very blokish, if you want, or butch or whatever word you want to use. One of my old producers, an absolute legend of a man, was a, was a, was a prop forward, played in a gay rugby team. Wow. James O'Brien knows a man who played in a gay rugby team. Yeah, rug- rugby, interestingly, is different, I feel. I feel rugby is a more inclusive sport, um, mm. and there are more gay rugby players uh, than there are football players. Uh, but, but... But that's patently bullshit. Absolute nonsense that there are more, more gay rugby players than football players. It's just not true, but we won't, we won't challenge that. You know, what Jake's done, it, it, he's kind of paved the way for young boys on the playground to be seen. So I, you he's know, paved the way for young boys on the playground to be seen? 
What does that mean? You no, know, for me in the 90s where it was actually illegal to be gay, you know, Section 28. Uh, at at the age. It wasn't illegal to be gay in the 90s. At the age you were in the 90s. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it, it wasn't yeah. illegal to be gay. Sorry, I'm being a right old straight-splainer today, aren't I? It was, it was illegal to <laughs> yeah. do anything about it, essentially, in ways that it wasn't for straight people. <laughs> James O'Brien has been a right straight-splainer. Straight-splainer. Oh, that's incredible, this. People, until I think 21 for, for, for you, whereas it was 16 for, for everybody else. Yeah, not that you got a shag when you were 16, O'Brien, you liar. Exactly, but also wasn't repealed until 2003, so I'd gone... Anyway, on and on and on and on they go... On and on they go, talking about how wonderful and incredible and how progressive it is and how good for everybody it is that this guy has decided to announce that he's gay. This young man. And good luck to the chap, by the way. But what is it about some gay people? What is it about narcissists that they need to be affirmed or they need affirmation excessively? That's what it is here, really. In my opinion, anyway. And I'm a lay person with no credentials in the fields of anthropology, with no credentials in the fields of psychology or psychiatry. But it's an awful lot of narcissism around. I want affirmation. Well, piss off. I don't give a shit that you're gay. Nobody does. You know, what are you telling us for anyway? You'd love to ask the question, which none of the mainstream media presenters would have the courage to ask, which is, Jake, I know you're a young man, but listen, since you brought it up, you've, you've opened the door to this. Why is your sexual orientation so tied up in your identity? Why, Jake? Because it isn't in mine, like. I'm a straight man, but that doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't matter what I am, who I go to bed with. What matters is what I say how I behave, what I do in my, in, my, in my local, you know, in my circle, in my circle of friends, amongst my family, in my community. It doesn't matter what my sexual orientation is. But of course, what's really going on here, and I said this yesterday, so I won't labour the point today, this is the gaslighting of the population day and night, you know, because we're told it's good for us, you know, to hear stories like Jake's, it's good. Because it educates us, because we need to be educated. We need to be told to be better, to be more tolerant and to be more inclusive. Because in reality, as I wrote on the website today, in reality all we are is a bunch of knuckle-draggers, Neanderthals, racists, homophobes and transphobes. That's what's going on here. Nobody cares about this lad's sexuality. And if this lad had been going out on the town in Blackpool, hand in hand with another young man, nobody would have given a shit. And I'll tell you something else, there isn't a tabloid newspaper in the world, in the current climate, that would touch it anyway. Now I know you're going to argue with this, but can you imagine if Marcus Rashford, the Manchester United striker, the saviour of England's children, the the free breakfast champion himself, Marcus. If Marcus Rashford was to be taking little trips out of town to the Peak District and to small villages, and he was gay, Marcus, if he was gay, and he was to be sitting down having a bit of dinner in a restaurant with his gay um, partner or, or, or whatever, do you know what? In the current climate, the tabloids wouldn't touch it for fear of reprisals if they were to do that, for the criticism they would take for outing the man. And I, of course, I would agree with that. People's private lives are their private lives. Shouldn't be the place of the tabloids to be chasing people around to out them as gay or, or, or anything else. Strange stuff, this, right across the media today. And uh, relentless, really, so it is. The time is uh, 16 minutes 
past the hour. David Vance. And later on, the uh, the brilliant Ryan Christian will be on the programme. Um, Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio this morning got into the pandemic accord. This is happening this week. This is a plan to allow the World Health Organisation to take ownership of basically directing how pandemics should be handled, but for the entire world, okay? So the UK government or the Irish government or the Australian government wouldn't make its own arrangements during an outbreak. It wouldn't make its own decisions. It would take instructions from the World Health Organisation. So Brewer interviewed a guy today called Matt Ridley. He's a British journalist. He's a businessman. He is a peer, a former peer, and he has written regularly for the Times newspaper. I uh, Let's hear the question put to him first by Brewer. But there is another more sort of, I suppose, existential threat uh, coming up much sooner than that, uh, and that is the World Health Organization. Uh, they're meeting this weekend to discuss their pandemic accord a plan to allow the World Health Organization to effectively take over pandemic planning and pandemic policy across pretty much every country in the world. I think it's 190 odd countries, including Britain. So what am I right in thinking that if Britain, as we're told, they will sign up to this, um, we won't even get a say in whether we lock down again. The World Health Organization will tell us to. Is that right? Right, okay. Is that the case? She asks Matt Ridley, the journalist, author and former peer. Here is his response. Well, that's the worry. Uh, But as always with the World Health Organization, it's not very transparent. We don't really know what they're going to come up with uh, next week. It's the World Health Assembly. As you say, 194 countries are invited. One isn't. Guess what? It's Taiwan because China doesn't want it there. Um, And uh, what what is on the agenda, among other things, is, as you say, a a pandemic accord, a pandemic pact, if you like. mustn't call it a treaty because then it wouldn't get through the US Senate. Um, And I think you, you and I know that countries like china will do what they do anyway they're not likely to listen to the world health organization tell them what to do but we are told that what they come up with at the world health assembly may have the force of international law uh, and we may therefore be in breach of international law if we don't lock down when the who says or mandate vaccines or um whatever else it might be now um, you know, some of those measures, undoubtedly, we will want to be taking anyway. So, you know, that's not a, a problem. Certainly, I think, you know, rolling out vaccines, sharing vaccines with other countries, these are the kinds we, of things. We, we didn't, we didn't need to be told by someone else to do that. Mm, mandating vaccines. Imagine if that is agreed to, if it's given to, if it, if it becomes in the gift of the World Health Organization. And there are those who want to make that happen, and it might happen as soon as this coming weekend. More on that, of course, in future programmes. But just before I skedaddle out of this um, long-winded, boring press uh, rundown or press review, let me show you this little bit of audio. Very interesting. The governor of the Bank of England has been talking about an apocalyptic shortage of food owing to the situation in Ukraine. The grain can't get out. Food prices going up. Scarcity of food inevitable. A lot of people worried about this understandably. Now, I've written and talked about this not from any place of expertise because I don't have any expertise whatsoever, but I do read and I do research. And I've been saying for a long time that the UK and Ireland, the entire Ireland 
island even of Ireland, the UK and the entire island of Ireland, shouldn't have to import food from anywhere. It shouldn't, because of the wonderfully fertile lands that we have for farming, you see. Now, on GB News this afternoon, I just happened to hear an interview with a guy called Colin Rayner. He's the director of Rayner Farms, and he told a GB News presenter something which I've believed for a long time, that the farmers of Britain, of the UK, can quite easily satisfy the food needs of the nation. Have a listen. I think they're out of tune of what's going on in the world. He's talking about politicians and bankers being out of tune with what's going on in the world. We can produce a lot of the food that's been produced in Ukraine in the UK. We have government policies that are making us plant wildflower meadows. We're whipping up wheat crops that could produce wheat, which would reduce the price of wheat. Uh, in Germany, they have cancelled their green farming policies and put a million hectares back into production. Why aren't we doing this in the UK? Also, we used to be self-sufficient in cooking oils, but we had the chemicals we used to grow those crops banned by this government of all parties because of uh, poor science. On our own farm, we used to grow 500 tonnes a year of cooking oil. We have produced nothing for the last three years. Also, 50% of my crop production now goes for food um, energy, uh, for energy crops where we sell food to make gas and electricity. Um, if the government changes its policies, the British farmers could meet the shortages um, lost by um, Ukraine's not being able to export. But we need the government and all parties to ditch these net zero and green policies that they seem to be following um, in, a, in a world crisis. Uh, the English farmer, the, you know, the British farmers, we can produce the food that this country needs, but we are hindered by these green policies. By these green policies, it's not such a stretch of the imagination, is it? To imagine an evil cartel introducing bullshit green policies to concentrate food growth or food or, or grain growth in pockets of the world, little tiny corners of the world like Ukraine, to make it easier, because if you shut down the farming in countries, farming that used to sustain the entire nation, if you shut it down in lots of Western countries and concentrate it in countries halfway around the world or a couple of thousand miles away, that would be easy then if you wanted to cause a massive crisis like this. But maybe I'm being a tad cynical. Maybe I am. The time is 23 minutes past five. This is your Richie Allen Show. It's live, of course, it's always live. From BBG Towers. Thank God for Aircon today. It's warm. I've moved to Aircon 4. Somebody tell the Joint Chiefs. Thank you. That is uh, Duran Duran. Ordinary World on your Richie Allen Show, live from Salford. Salford, it's Salford. The time coming up for 28 minutes past five. Thanks for being with me. Thanks for your comments. I will read some of them out shortly. Uh, delighted to welcome back my first guest. It's been, uh, it's been a while, I think just before Christmas was the last time we spoke. He's the editor of altnewsmedia.net and uh, he also runs and, and ran and runs a terrific website about the 
BBC called BiasedBBC.tv. Check it out. Let's welcome back to the programme, David Vance. David, welcome back. Hi, hi, Richie. Absolute pleasure to be back with you as always. Thanks very much. We, we, we had a mad week last week. We were due in on Monday and then we didn't do Monday and then we couldn't do Tuesday. It was all over the bloody place. I'm glad we got you back on because there's plenty to be talking about. Weren't you the crazy conspiracy theorist when you said that conservative commentators were being blocked by Twitter as a matter of policy? God, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. Well, they've only, I, I, they've only admitted it. I, I know exactly. I mean, imagine Twitter confirms everything that we've been saying for at least six or seven years. It's, uh, you know, it, it is amusing at one level, uh, Richie, to get the, uh, I think it was Project Veritas, didn't they? They got yeah. that senior, senior Twitter engineer telling us that uh, basically, yeah, they, they we absolutely do ban conservative people. And yeah, basically we're commies and basically we hate Elon Musk, you know, so uh no surprise there, it has to be said, if you've been paying attention. Uh, but it's still nice to have it confirmed by Twitter, isn't it? Nice to have it confirmed by Twitter. Now, for listeners listening to this programme for the very first time, David and I are chalk and cheese, but I like the man. David is a, a unionist and he's a conservative. I'm an old lefty and I used to be a nationalist. I used to be. We'll talk about that in a few minutes' time uh, with uh, with David. So, Elon Musk then, there's been a bit of news regarding his proposed takeover of Twitter, which it, it, it now hinges on Musk wants to know what Twitter knows about fake accounts, about bot accounts, and there might be a hold up in the takeover. So can I ask you two questions, David? What do you think about Musk's interest in fake accounts, number one? And number two, is there really any hope, any genuine hope that Elon Musk is a proper champion of free speech and he will allow people to uh, express themselves on Twitter about all of these political issues we talk about? Gosh, Richie, you ask the hardest questions ever, don't you? <laughs> because I mean, the the, the uh, my views in it are that uh, as regards this, the, the fake accounts, the spam accounts, um, I, I think he's got a reasonable um, question to to be asked. If if you're going to lay down forty four billion for uh, for anything, uh, you want to be sure that actually of your forty four billion is getting you a hundred percent of something that's real, not you know, 95% or even 20 or 80% because Musk is claiming that potentially it could be 20% or more uh, spam bots, which wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, I think Twitter is an indelibly corrupt uh, social media platform, Richie, and I'm very glad to be banned from it. But I think if, if, if you know, with my businessman's hat on, if I'm buying something, I want to make sure I'm getting that which the other, you know, the seller is uh, is offering. So, for example, if you were buying a house and uh, you put down your money and then you discover, well, actually, you've got 90 percent of the house, you would be a very, very stupid buyer, wouldn't you? Yeah. So, 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 you know, I can understand that from 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 that perspective of, of Musk. And uh, obviously, I mean, the other thing is, as you've seen, the share price is tanked. So the value of Twitter is not what it was. And in a way, Musk's doing that. And he's been very good at doing that over on the crypto world as well. So so is he trying to get Twitter for a, a cheaper price? Well, maybe. And again, that, that's business. 
Honestly, it, some people may be shocked at this, but this is the way business tell me more. Operate. Tell me more about this now, because I know very little about this. So we know about the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is supposed to have oversight when, when it comes to illegal trading and dodgy trading. Because it does sound like it's very possible that Musk has thrown this spanner in the works to drop the share price of Twitter so he can get it a bit cheaper. That's, um, I don't know if gaming is the appropriate term to use there, but it doesn't sound very legal. What do you think of it? Well, you know, is, is it legal for Twitter to say oh, only 5% or less of our active users are, are spam bots and at the same time not be open in showing how they arrive at that conclusion? I mean, I think that's equally dodgy. So, um, I just, to be honest with you, Richie, I see the whole thing as it's a, it's a wonderful soap opera. It's a kind of a distraction from uh, real world importance, such yeah, as potentially yeah. World War Three, you know. But it's, it's, it's enjoyable. I mean, I've enjoyed the salty tears of those on Twitter who think Trump might come back, or God forbid, people <laughs> like me might come back. I've enjoyed. I mean, I've had a good laugh at that. Uh, the, the, just the threat of it, you know. You just imagine the uh, the uh, would, would. But you asked a good question, though. Could could Musk make Twitter free speech? And, and Richie, ninety percent of me is saying no. It's impossible because you know, going back to that uh, interview that t- turned up there, the Project Verda stuff. Twitter is stacked. They're stacked with what I call purple-haired, nose-ring-wearing, indeterminate gender um, commie drones. So if you think those people could, in a, Elon Musk owned Twitter, operate fairly and squarely, you're mad. He'd have to sack pretty much the entire Twitter staff, which mightn't be a bad idea. But could that happen? And, and you know, so it's, it's, it's really difficult. You know, I cannot see Twitter's fallen so far, Richie, that... I can't see how it could be revived. You know, yeah. it would be it would be the equivalent of Lazarus being resurrected, getting Twitter to the point where it becomes a legitimate free speech platform. And uh, you know, as the other thing is, it, to me, it became so infested, so awful. The Twitter experience was so grim for anybody, Richie. You know, and anyone who dis- disagrees with the narrative in whichever way, and that could be right, left of the spectrum, yeah. right of the yeah. spectrum. If you disagree, you get this almighty descent of the horrible people, some of whom may not even be real or, you know, or made up or, or, or uh, coordinated upon you. And it makes your life miserable, misery. So, um, so I don't know. As I, say, I just enjoy it on the basis that, well, if it causes emotional distress to some of the absolute emotional retards on Twitter, <laughs> then I'm happy enough with that. I can live with that. But beyond that, honestly, I just think, well, Musk is, he's certainly playing them. And as you said, is he doing it legally or le- legit or not? I don't know. I mean, we're talking billions here. I mean, you know, one, you know, one percent drop in the share price is, 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 is well, certainly millions. Uh, and uh, but we've seen that on the stuff, Rich, uh, Richie, that Elon Musk has put out on his own Twitter account concerning concerning Dogecoin and all that. He, he, he's clearly manipulated there as well. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you know, as I say, it would be lovely if Twitter was to be made a free speech platform. I don't think they won't hold possible. our breath. It's interesting mm-hmm. because the last couple of times you and I spoke, we talked about 
we had a fabulous conversation, I think, the time before last, where both of us acknowledged that long-held beliefs that we had were shattered by the things we observed over the last two and a half years. That yep. our identities, you know, as nationalists, as unionists, didn't matter so much anymore because, yep. you know, we were being taken in a certain place. And I, I definitely believe now, although I can't prove it, that the social media companies were allowed um, to attain such hegemony um, for for a time like this, because somebody knew that this was the direction the world would be taken in, and they wanted to control what people could and couldn't say. So I think this is playing out maybe as somebody or somebody's wanted it to play out uh, as we go towards this kind of Agenda 2030, Great Reset, horrifying reality that we seem to be heading towards. Well, yeah, but I think the thing that they didn't realise, Richie, is that because of what we've gone through over the past couple of years, everything's changed. You know, you, you talked about me being a unionist and a conservative. I'm not even sure that I am anymore yeah. because yeah. there are more important things than that. And and we've seen in the last couple of years that if we don't have the essential freedom to, you know, to, to stop being forced into taking experimental gene therapies, for example. Well, what have we got? You know, if we have to go around with face nappies on, if we have to show vaccine passports, that to me, Richie, overrides Everything. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I'm so happy that I can align in many regards with people like yourself. And I've got friends and other Irish friends who would be, I suppose, traditionally, um, you know, Republican wanting a wanting. a Well, they want a free Ireland, which, of course, isn't available anymore anyway, because it's now, as you as you well know, it's just an outpost of the European Union and with a good little globalist government in place. So so to me, the world's changed and all these social media platforms you know, um, yes, they're trying to maybe reinforce a narrative, but people like us are busting down their narrative every day of the week, every hour of the day. And, uh, and we're going to keep going, Richie. Now, so for how long? We- Hang on, hold that thought. David Vance is our guest. This is where we're getting to the nub of it now. Going through Parliament as we speak is some odious, disgusting, dystopian bit of legislation called the Online Harms Bill. And here's a legitimate scenario now. So you have your websites that, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed, particularly the BBC, the Bias BBC website, you've got altnewsmedia.net, and you go on there and you put a legitimate argument against the official narrative. That's what you do. But here's a legitimate scenario now in the future. Uh, Mr. Vance, while it isn't illegal what you are publishing on altnewsmedia.net, we've deemed it to be harmful. Therefore, we're going to take it down and we're going to tell your webmaster or whatever to take you down. How much longer will people like us be able to speak freely and challenge and argue with the BBC and the government and Sky News and and the World Economic Forum with this online harms bill? um, is, is, Is our time nigh, do you think? Well, that's again, another brilliant question, Richie. And the answer is that, as you say, that particular odious piece of legislation driven by this monstrous so-called conservative government, it is about shutting you down, shutting me down, shutting all of us who who robustly uh, challenge their narrative. And as you say, they've redefined the language 
just like they redefined it over COVID, um, into meaning that uh, something can, could be potentially um, deemed as harmful, even if it's not legal. And that could be, well, I don't agree. I think the, your, your vaccines don't work. I think uh, Zelensky's, uh, you know, uh, 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 a fraud, uh, a criminal. Those things could potentially get us all closed down. What we may end up doing, Richie, and this is, you know, I think possibility, being driven into other ways to be able to communicate than, than the ways that we do at the moment. Um, although I don't know, what can the British government do to, for example, a US he headquartered social media company that, um, with all due respect, says, yeah, sorry, tough, we're going to allow people to say what they want in our platforms. Is the British government going to close them down? How's that, that going to work? That's very interesting. I remember some years ago, we... Um, I was involved in something called The People's Voice in London. It was um, free speech television. And we very naively thought we could run an internet television station with, uh, with a schedule every day and that we were uh, away from the clutches of Ofcom, David. But Ofcom yeah. turned up and said, you can't because it's, on, it's television. Even though it's online, it's TV, it's a schedule, linear schedule, and we control online television. Now, they didn't control online radio, uh, then they they do now, but they 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 to this yeah. day they don't control independent operators like me. So I do a daily live radio show at the same time. They don't um, have any reach or oversight over what I do. But I know this for a fact because some very esteemed professors of journalism in London, whose names I won't mention now, to be fair to them, but I'm in contact with regularly. Ofcom is only desperate. Uh, to to make it so that they will be able to say to anyone, whether they do a daily live show like myself or they appear on podcasts and live radio shows like yourself, um, yep, you can't yep. do that. You've got to be licensed by us. That's coming, that. Definitely. I agree. I, I completely agree. Yeah. There's no doubt about it, Richie. The British government wants Ofcom to be the regulator of all communications. I mean, that's the that that that's exactly what 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 the the the, the great concern that we 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 face. That and you, you see how pernicious Ofcom is when it comes to mainstream media and mainstream uh, TV. I mean, it's laughable. Yeah. I just laugh at it. It's so pathetic. And you look at new channels like so-called GB News or or talk radio, talk TV. I mean, again, I, I mean, it's all completely controlled. Um, there's no real dissenting voices. Because that's what, because uh, that's the role of Ofcom. So, I mean, Ofcom should be actually uh, abolished. That's that would be good to see the demise of Ofcom. But instead, they're going to try to bring about the demise of the Richie Allen show. They're going to try and bring down the David Vance podcasts and yeah, all of the stuff yeah. that we put out. I know that. Um, and you know, we have to brace for the fact that most people are unaware of this. They're they're sleepwalking into digital tyranny. And um, yeah, how do we get out of it? I don't know. David Vance is our guest. Now, we, we will talk about Northern Ireland in, in a moment. Um, what You mentioned World War Three earlier. So Sweden and yeah. Finland um, yeah. talking about NATO. There's an arms race underway at the moment. The UK government and other governments want to spend lots more money building up their, their arsenals. Russia seems to be digging in. A little bit of stalemate maybe around Ukraine. But when it comes to, you, you know, thoughts of a global conflict... Do you think they're realistic? Do you think it's a possibility that we could be in unimaginable territory if things keep going the way they're going? 
Yeah, I do. Yeah, because I think NATO is the greatest threat the world, uh, well, one of the greatest threats the world represents. NATO, which is, you know, in my mind, an anachronist, an anachronistic uh, organization that should have been disbanded in nineteen early 1990s, uh, has found new meaning and it's found new meaning and new money and new influence and all the rest of it by essentially going after Russia. So, you know, this whole business of encircling Russia, uh, you know, up in the uh, in the Nordics with uh, uh, Finland. And, and Sweden and whatnot, and then the, the, obviously Ukraine. I mean, th- they are patently seeking a confrontation. They're basically saying to Putin, do something, do something till a NATO country so we can trigger Article 5 and then we can actually have our conflagration. But, you know, Russia's in a nuclear part. Um, you know, country as you know, Richie, it's got hypersonic risk missiles that could reduce London to ashes in, in space minutes, of two minutes from yeah. the, you know, and we don't have a defence to that. So the stakes are so incredibly high here. And 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 whilst I, I mean, I have to say, maybe like yourself, I, I I'm anti-war. I don't approve of it. Only in the you know ultimately self-defence scenario, then there's maybe justification. But by and large, war should be avoided at all costs. But everyone with an eye, eyes can see that since certainly the start of this year, into, at the end of January, NATO has put Putin in a position where what else was he going to do? You know, eight years of genocide against the people of the Donbass, uh, all the saber rattling by Zelensky uh, at, uh, at conferences about, oh yeah, we're going to get nukes, we're going to get nukes. Oh yeah, we're joining uh, NATO. What's Putin going to do? And, and so it was contrived, it was deliberate. You could say he should have held back, but. If I had been in the Kremlin, I might have made the same decisions. But now we are where we are. And rather than, you know, Richie, uh, lower the tension and rather than try and let di- diplomacy prevail and, and calm heads prevail, instead, we've got this unbelievable hype coming out of NATO and bringing in, you know, Finland with their World Economic Forum appointed uh, prime minister. Um, and, Let's talk and more Sweden about that. Let's talk more about the World Economic Forum momentarily because you, you shared something startling with me last week about Jerry Adams. We'll come to that in a moment. Um, <laughs> incredible, really. And before um, we do that, though, there, we, we should mention that noise is coming out of Ankara. Um, the Turks are apparently planning to veto any attempts by Finland and Sweden to join NATO. So maybe there's some good news there. I'd like to think it. But initially I did think it. But the more you understand Turkey, I think the one thing about the Turks is, and Erdogan, they're very good at the art, Richie, of negotiation, uh, getting things. So, yes, they've thrown a spanner in the works, but I'm sure if they're given enough money and enough this, that and the other, then Erdogan might choose to look the other way. You know, I would love it. If, uh, if if Turkey did stop it, which would be great. Similarly, Hungary is suspiciously quiet at the moment. So maybe Hungary might do it as well. So it's by no means a fait accompli. But I mean, the power of NATO is and like when we talk about NATO, Richie, NATO is really two countries. It's the US and the UK, which which I would perceive as an axis of evil, to be quite blunt. Just the way they're behaving at the moment, an axis of evil because they're seeking potentially World War Three. So you've you got to call them out for what they are. Um, can any country withstand the economic might and the political power that those countries combined have? I don't know. I mean, Erdogan, I know Erdogan's a, he's a tough guy down in Turkey. And uh, Viktor Orban as well, a tough guy. I, I would hope, I would really hope 
that they, they, they do stop this because it's insanity. It is absolutely mad. The, fin, the Finns and the Swedes getting involved in this. But it's all about encircling, um, you know, uh, Russia. And actually, Richie, if that wasn't bad enough, we heard our absolute clown of a foreign secretary, Liz Truss, waffling on there about a week or so ago, talking about the fact that oh, NATO ever so important. And don't forget, apart from the North Atlantic, we got to look out for the basically the South Pacific or China, the whole the whole area down there. So what? So go for the Russian bear and then go go, go for the Chinese. Is, is that is that Richie a coherent plan? No, it's literacy. It's madness to me. It's lunacy. And the peoples mm. of any country, they elect their leaders to make their lives a bit better. That's what they have done traditionally. They believe their bullshit manifestos, that yep. they'll have more jobs, they'll have lower taxes, uh, facilities, excuse me, services will be better. And they buy into that and they go and vote. And none of that happens except these international crises and um, pandemics and, and, and all the rest of it. David Vance is, is our guest. Eventually they might wake up to it. Um, Hope so. I, I don't know if we have time to get into this. I, I'll read a comment from Claire, which is fascinating. Um, there is what some people would call an extreme position, and that is that all of the global leaders, including Putin, are in on it, are in on this great reset thing. Putin was a young um, WEF leader at one time. and he was, yeah. And, and yeah. people wonder, because the, 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 what, what has happened since the Ukraine uh, invasion, if, if we want to call it that, everything that has happened suits the great reset agenda. So there are those who imagine that Putin is being controlled himself. Now, we, I, I certainly, I wouldn't dream of censoring you, but I'm mindful of time. So what I will say, you can say what you want to that, but Claire has said this, and this sums me up. What is the point of a united Ireland if we're not sovereign? That's a question that's plagued me in recent years as a lifelong Irish Republican. We'll be throwing off the shackles of one empire, uh, the British, he says, for the shackles of a new empire. At least we knew where we stood with the Brits. And I've said this to my old Sinn Féin pals. Now, again, I don't feel like I have to qualify everything. But my Sinn Féin pals are Waterford Cork-based Sinn Féin lads that I know from school. Not militant or not... Um, um, uh, terrorist people, uh, p political people. And um, I, I always, as a young lad, I dreamed of eventually a united Ireland. But it was idealistic. I dreamed of a united Ireland where everybody um, was, um, was equal, every single one of us, whether you were uh, Protestant, Catholic, whether you were nationalist, whether you were uh, unionist. And I always believed that that should happen democratically because I was naive. You know, if eventually enough people want to do that, well, sure, we should try it in any case. But I know it's complete nonsense now. I know that the, you said it earlier on, an outpost of the European Union, the, the Republic of Ireland is nothing but an EU vassal state, completely controlled. So this idea that Sinn Féin, for the first time in the Northern Ireland Assembly, has the most, um, you know, uh, has, has the biggest number of, of uh, MS LA's. We should be delighted. It's nonsense. None of this matters anymore, does it? Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't matter. I laugh at it. I mean, oh, as a unionist, I'm supposed to be horrified. Yeah, it's supposed to be up in arms. Yeah, no, no pun it's intended. It's laughable. It's absolutely laughable because, for the simple reason you say, the Irish government are a bunch of puppets. The Northern Ireland ex executive is even worse, or, or just as bad anyway. So, so none of it means 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 anything. And and it's it's it. I think it's distraction politics as well. If people get involved in all, I mean, for example, we've seen Boris Johnson shuttling back and forward to get Stormont up, and it's so important. That they deliver for the people of Northern Ireland, blah, blah, blah. They will deliver nothing because, as you rightly point out, Richie, these people stand in manifestos that mean that are just 
just just uh, you know just just empty words, just hollow. And then once they get into power, they implement the same narratives that are being pushed from on high through the likes of the WEF and else and elsewhere, and uh, and you know the uh, the World Health Organization. So so it's a sham. I actually think the whole democratic thing in the West is, is a sham. No other word to describe it because I mean, who in Ireland votes for climate for 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 climate change narratives that's going to destroy the Irish economy? Yeah. Same here in the north as well. Who voted for that? Nobody. But we're getting it. We're getting it. So I ask you, what's the point in these governments other than just being essentially sub post offices of uh, the likes of the World Economic Forum? So so when people get all caught up and oh, Sinn Féin this or DUP that, they're, they're playing the wrong game. These guys are have no significance. And I, I, as I did say to you about um, about our friend Jerry Adams, you know, renowned Sinn Féin leader and uh, all of that. Uh, also, uh, yes, he's in the World Economic Forum. Jerry's got his mugshot on their website, uh, along with quite a lot of the other. I mean, almost everyone who is anyone, Richie, in Irish politics, north or south, is is, is linked into the WEF. And, um, and 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 these are the real things. And actually, apart from us talking about it, the mainstream media don't even. There's not a whisper from them on this. Not a whisper. Do you know what I mean? They're too busy distracting people into look at this, look at this, don't look at that. Whereas our job, Richie, is to make people look at that. That's what we need to do. I think we need to start talking more about Wagatha Christie. To be honest, but you know what? Our lives <laughs> might feel, we might feel better. We must start talking. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. That's what you get. Yeah. We're getting it every hour on BBC and Sky. Let's go to, I don't know where this is being held. The High Court, is it? I have no idea. Let's go to the High Court. Uh, Brian is there. Brian, what's happening? Yeah, well, uh, Jamie Vardy was staring at Wayne Rooney. But this is bollocks. Excuse my language, isn't it? And it's relentless, isn't it, on the media? While, as you said, all of this stuff is going on. They're pushing, maybe, if Putin is not... Um, another controlled puppet, and maybe he is. I don't know, but if he isn't, they're poking and pushing them to the to the brink of 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 a, of a global conflict, which would kill hundreds of millions, if not billions. Yeah, let's let's talk about yeah. Wagatha Christie. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, exactly. I'll give you another sh- small example. Uh, Boris Johnson visited Belfast yesterday, and he went to uh, a missile factory, a factory in East Belfast that makes uh, the, uh, I think it's the Stinger missiles, Richie, that are being sent over to Ukraine to kill Russians, right? And, and I'm thinking to myself, and, and of course the media is slobbering over this, is it oh, ever so exciting? And I'm thinking, I wonder if the people of Belfast realise that th- they are now targets. They are absolute targets because, you know, again, so, so Belfast is making missiles that are being sent to Ukraine by the goodwill of the British government and using that to kill, slaughter Russians. So if you were in the, in the Kremlin, and you were looking targets. Where might you look? Where might you, you think, look? Yeah, you know what I mean. And, and, and so yes, but no, don't worry about that. Let's chat about uh, Wagatha Christie, or let's talk about the fact that oh, Doctor Who, we're going to have the first trans <laughs> assistant. You know what I mean? Let's talk about everything but anything yeah. that's important. And yeah. that's the role of the mainstream media. And that's why Richie, those of us in the alternative media, we we have to try and counter this. And I think it's because we're successful. That's why 
it's so hard for us. That's why, you know, there's all a constant sort of flack that you take and whatnot. But I think, you know, we, we, we do make breakthroughs and the COVID time is showing that, you know, we fought back, fought back, fought back. And now in Ukraine, we're not accepting their narrative. But I mean, in the meantime, as you say, all the important stuff, you know, potentially famine coming down. I mean, basically the four, four horsemen of the apocalypse are circling and we're asked to talk about, look at uh, Wagatha Christie. I ask you, they know what they're doing, but we know what they're doing as well and we have to keep flagging it up. Just a quick final question, David. Thanks for coming back today. Yeah. As far as COVID goes, um, that one is not really going away, is it? Do you see that coming back in the autumn, in the winter? And do you see another attempt to, you know, to take more power away from people, to disempower them? Do you see that happening? I totally do. I think anyone who thinks COVID has gone away is fooling themselves. They, they, that, that, that's still there. It was a good trial run they had. They got it right up to the vaccine passport point. So they've got the technology in place. And come the autumn, when respiratory viruses return in the Northern Hemisphere, then you will see here what actually we're starting to see in Australia now. Because remember, Richie, down in Australia, it's the Southern Hemisphere well, in the late autumn, and then move into winter in the next couple of months. And we have the Australian government, you know, again, uh, getting very, very aggressive and whatnot in terms of what they might want to do. And you'll see it in New Zealand as well. So so I think, um, you know, the, the COVID is a great tool for them in terms of imposing Chinese communist style levels of control over the population. And uh, we see, I mean, we won't have time to go into it, but we see the World Health, Health the World Health Organization's, uh, you know, their, their, um, their global pandemic treaty, yes. which again, one world government, and it's sitting there, it's right there. This weekend, and, uh, isn't it? This, this coming yeah, weekend, yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, so so again, we've got we've got all these big issues uh, all floating around. And meanwhile, the media want you to look at Wagatha Christie. So that's why this is it's great to come on and have a chat, a, ch- a chat to chance on matters of real substance and real importance. And I'm sure the people listening to this, and I know the people that listen to me and whatnot as well. I mean, I think they value the fact that we are dissenting voices, but the the, the dissent we show resonates with people and I think you know they're, they're happy that at least we're here to offer a different set of opinions anyway and it's not the variety surely that should be the real sort of uh, you know the essence of debate different opinions. Amen to that I've already said it but remind um, our listeners where they can get the podcast and tell us about the website yeah, so first of all, if you want to, if you want to get uh, daily podcasts from yours truly, just type David Vance into any, on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, any of them, you'll get me. Find me on the daily podcast because uh, I put out about Richie five or six podcasts a day. So it's the most productive daily podcast channel, I think, in the UK. Cheers. So you can get me, you can get me there. You can get me over in Getter. You can get me in Gab. In fact, Richie, you can get me everywhere but Twitter. So there you go, folks. That's where if you, if you enjoy my style of doing stuff you can you can get it there but as Richie says you know we're doing the same job we are pushing back and we're letting other we're providing a platform for other voices to have their say David thanks so much for coming on today I look forward to doing Thank it again you. real soon God bless bye for now cheers bye bye David Vance folks live on the Richie Allen show as he said the podcast David Vance just look for that and you'll find it the time is coming up to uh 
about 90 seconds to the top of the hour. Thanks for your comments. I'm going to read them right now. RichieAllen.co.uk, where it says comment live, you can leave a comment there or you can contact me the other way through the website. Richard Kelly says, I think they will attempt a global famine come autumn. Uh, The Urban Fox has been on to say, Richie, the World Economic Forum is now proposing a climate change treaty in order to issue dictates to all countries. Um, and he, and he uh, shared a link there that's on the Comet Live uh, segment. He says uh, that confirms what he was thinking recently, that the pandemic treaty is just the first step with other global institutions soon to be given official control over other matters. That's yeah, wholly unsurprising. I agree. That's something that we've discussed on this programme over the years. Eventually they will homogenise, can we say that? The approach to tackling climate change, which isn't really happening. Of course course, climate change. A climate change, of course. It's called the weather. Yes. I'm not going to get into the minute details of that because I, I get into it too often. Yes, of course, you're absolutely right. It will happen that they will have a one-size-fits-all approach to dealing with climate change and governments around the world will be expected to sign up to it with penalties for countries which don't adhere to the rules. Now, I used to play a clip, I don't have it to hand, by Richard Haas, the top man at the Council uh, on Foreign Relations, which is a roundtable group. Uh, Richard Haas, uh, a clip that uh, I took from a talk he gave four years ago or thereabouts, where he talked about World Order 2.0. And in World Order 2.0, Richard Haas, from the Council on Foreign Relations, he said that countries won't be allowed to do things that indirectly impact other countries. They won't be allowed to, he said. I'm paraphrasing, but that is what he said. In other words, we won't allow countries to burn fossil fuels because that impacts on other people in other countries because it exacerbates climate change. I used to play this clip almost religiously on this programme. I don't have it to hand. I might dig it out and run it again on tomorrow's programme because it's very interesting because it fits neatly what he was saying some years ago with what we are witnessing now. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. Uh, Hank says, my understanding is that there is no evidence to support uh, that Putin was a young globalist. The only mention of him was when Schwab mentioned him in conversation. That's Hank in Newmarket. Thanks, Hank. Hank, I think I have definitely seen a news article from the mainstream media uh, dated years ago talking about Putin and the, and the WEF. I'm pretty sure I have. So you, you, you would be quite right now to challenge me to find it. I, I will try and dig it out. But you might be right, Hank. Um, you might be right. Look, I don't know. I suspect Putin might be as much of a puppet as the rest of them. But I have to always acknowledge that I have no proof of that. William says, NATO isn't two nations. NATO is a tentacle of the hidden hand. It hides behind nations. The nations themselves have no say whatsoever, says William. Thank you, William. Craig says he sent a link from Christianity.com about the Eastern Orthodox Church based in Russia. Won't bow to Vatican supremacy. Took the brunt of the destruction during the Bolshevik Revolution. Could be argued, says Craig, that what is happening in Russia is, in part, a ploy to force this church to bend the knee. Very interesting, that. Uh, 
Joe Public agrees with David Vance that Erdogan, the Turkish Prime Minister, might be angling for some sort of deal. So when, 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 when Erdogan says that it will veto any attempt by, by Finland or Sweden to join NATO, when, when, when Erdogan says that, it might be because he's angling for some sort of a sweetener. Says Joe, that's a good point, Joe. David made it, you might very well be right. Both of you might be right. I don't know. Bruce says we must find ways to operate outside of their control systems. Otherwise, they will always shift the goalposts and shut us down. Think Pirate Radio, says Bruce. Bruce, I've been racking my brains as to what I could do to continue in some way. And I'm coming up empty all the time. Because when, and it is an inevitable when, they take away the equipment and you get arrested for trying to continue to broadcast. That's inevitable, by the way. That isn't melodrama. What else can you do? You talk about speaking publicly, they'll arrest you or move you on. You talk about doing theatre shows. I, I wrote over two years ago a theatre show. I wrote a comedy show for two hours about the media. A one-man show, audio-visual, I had it ready to go. I was about to book theatres. Do you think in the near future I would be allowed to do that? I don't think so. Um, So I'm coming up empty on what I or we could possibly do to carry on when the censorship that we've known about for so long or we feared for so long eventually comes to pass, which is um, very soon. The Online Harms Bill. Anyway, thank you for your comments. You're brilliant, so you are. Keep them coming in, richieallen.co.uk. And it's Comment Live at the top of the page. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support The Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, that's a joy, division, and love will tear us apart. It's the Richie Allen Show. It is live. It's always live from Salford. It is, uh, where is it? Where can you, uh, where uh, can you hear it? You can hear it on Spotify, iTunes, but Podomatic.com, that's the place to find it. It's on Podomatic.com. And uh, any episodes you've missed, you can catch them there, although the programme does tend to repeat on a loop on my website. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Now, the brilliant, uh, the last American vagabond, Ryan Christian, will be with me in around about six or seven minutes' time. Isn't he a top lad? Top man is Ryan. Love hearing from him. Much to get into with him. David mentioned something that uh, I had posted about briefly on the website today. The Doctor Who story. Uh, They've announced that the trans actor will be playing Rose in the next series of Doctor Who. I don't know too much about Doctor Who. I was never a fan. Uh, This might sound like a cliche, but it's true. The Daleks scared the living bejesus out of me when I was a boy. Proper scared me. So I didn't really like it, and I never really got into it. But some years ago, a character called Rose was played by Billy Piper, who's an actress and singer. You remember remember Billy Piper? So it hasn't been confirmed whether the trans actor, 
the man who identifies as a woman will play the old Rose, or if it's a new character, Rose. It's interesting, this, though, because the new doctor um, will be a man called Nsuti Gatwa. Now, he is black and he is gay, but he's never openly discussed his sexuality. So there are those who would say it's gone very woke there at the BBC, hasn't it? Hiring a black gay man to play the doctor and a trans woman, which is a man, really, uh, to play Rose. That's what he was referring to. That's what the BBC is doing. There are those who would argue, but they won't argue with me, which is a real shame because I like an argument. There are those who argue, well, what difference does it make? What's the harm in hiring uh, gay people and trans people? I'm not saying it's harmful at all, but I'm saying that the, the reasoning behind it isn't pure. It's not genuine. It's not out of any niceness. It's not just um, one of those things. There's uh, an agenda behind it. That's what I would argue. And I would like to argue that point with people from Stonewall and other organisations, but but they just won't speak with me. They won't talk with me on this programme. Why? Because I'm a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal, racist, homophobe and transphobe. That's why they won't talk to me. We don't talk to the likes of you. Jesus, fair enough. I was just going to ask you, aren't you a bit overrepresented now, don't you think? With every second television presenter being a person of colour, or a, or, 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 or a gay person. You know, that's over-representation because I know that people of colour and gay people, of which there's no relationship, but, you know, groups of people, um, are not in the majority in terms of the demographics of the UK. But you would think they were if you watched telly. But uh, I'd like to talk about that, you know, just to get your thoughts on it. Positive discrimination, maybe it's going too far, maybe. No, we don't talk to you, you big dirty, baldy, gammon, racist, transphobe, homophobe. All right, fair enough then. Fair enough you don't want to talk to me. Nobody wants to talk to me these days. None of the people I would like to talk to want to talk to me. Except the people who do talk to me. (laughs) Because I've invited them on because I do want to talk to them. But you know what I mean? None of the people who disagree with me will talk to me. And that's a bit sad. A little bit sad. It's 12 minutes past the hour. It's your Richie Allen show. Uh, Ryan Christian is standing by. He's just said howdy to me. Thank you very much. I like that. Another very interesting story I posted on the Richie Allen website today is one which, of course, came as no surprise to you or to me. And that is yet another study. There have been several has emerged and it says that there has been a sharp decline in children's speech and motor skills since the lockdowns. Again, we could cue Scylla's surprise, surprise here, but we won't. It's been claimed that one in five children, that's 20%, are not meeting expected standards by the age of two and a half. Thousands are believed to need speech and language therapy. This was in the Telegraph today. I nicked it and uh, rewrote it for my own website because it's very important. Now, the, there's been an about turn 
by the chair of the forthcoming COVID inquiry. Remember, we moaned about the fact that there there was no mention in the inquiry's terms of reference, there was no mention of the harms caused to children by lockdowns. Well, allegedly, there's been a bit of an about turn and apparently the scope of the inquiry will be broadened to include looking at what lockdowns have done to children. Remember the great, great Irish journalist John Waters, who's still alive and well, thank God, he said, speaking about care homes now, to be honest, he said they should be taken out and horsewhipped. I believe they are child abusers. I don't say that now for dramatic effect. They are not pedophiles. I am not accusing Chris Whitty, Patrick Valance, Boris Johnson and Matt Hancock of pedophilia. I am not. They're not pedophiles, but they are child abusers. They waged a psychological war on children. They terrorised them. And they knew damn well what they were doing. Because as I said on my website today, if a thickeen, if a thickeen, as we say in Ireland, like myself, if a bog warrior like me with me big baldy head in me. If I could know when lockdowns kicked in what was going to happen to children, well, you can guarantee they knew as well. Or they knew as well. And they did it anyway. RichieAllen.co.uk, some of those articles are there. Shall we welcome back to the programme the brilliant Ryan Christian. I love the man. He is the founder and editor of TheLastAmericanVagabond.com. It is a website that you must bookmark. It should be on your menu bar, on your laptop or, or on your tablet. Terrific journalist, broadcaster and commentator. Welcome back, Ryan Christian. Ryan, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm good, man. Always a pleasure to be on your show. You're a gent for doing it. You're a busy man. Um... So much that we're going to talk about in the half an hour. Let's start with NATO expansion, Finland and Sweden, and what that really means, the arms race we see developing in Europe, Britain spending billions more on arms, the United States, uh, Russia digging in, Turkey saying, well, we might veto Finland's accession to the NATO uh, table. What's going on? Should we, should we be more concerned than we were last time we spoke about uh, a global conflict? It's interesting. It's last time we talked about. Pardon me. Last time we talked about it, I, I remember us talk, discussing about whether. I mean, I think my my mindset it still generally is is that kinetic warfare. You know, the World War One Two kind of scenarios. It's kind of a thing of the past. Not that, in my opinion, not that wars aren't going to continue to happen, but proxy war seems to be the kind of focal point going forward. But to your question now today, it's interesting because. I'm seeing things that maybe make me stand back a minute and change my stance a little bit. Like, for instance, as you pointed out, we have this obvious red line being crossed that's been laid out for a long time, not just Ukraine now, Sweden and, and you know, other people being discussed in, in Finland, whether they're going to cross that line and join NATO, which violates the old discussion of Gorbachev and the agreement and all that. But I just recently dis was discussing Reuters. I mean, unless this is a complete misrepresentation of what Putin actually said, which is <laughs> possible. He basically came out and said that he does not see those joining NATO in that regard, other than Ukraine, being an issue for him. It's only about the military buildup. And I thought that was a very strange thing to say, because obviously it has been a red line for a long time. Obviously, that's been laid out. So just to get to the point, I think my, what it seems to suggest to me is maybe there is more benefit to this Cold War scenario, as we know from the past, to both sides. 
both selling weapons and and you know and and using those situations to draw in force in policy that might not be accepted otherwise. The Great Reset applies to all these countries, right? Fantastic. So it's a really interesting step to see because you would think that that would be a the kind of straw that broke the camel's back, sort of like with Ukraine. But now he seems to be stepping back a little bit, at least as the narrative goes, and saying that, well, it's okay, you guys can join, but just don't. I mean, all it seems to me to suggest is that they're going to join, and then the obvious will be they'll build up militarily, which is happening, which will always happen in these positions, and then it will become the very reason that they need to continue to do what they're already doing. Kind of seems like a self-fulfilling prophecy to a degree. This is fascinating. It's why I love having you on. I didn't consider this. So in Moscow, you have the administration there thinking, yeah, a Cold War wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. We get to expand militarily and we maybe get to implement or impose policies on our on our nation's people that maybe we couldn't have done in happier times. That's why we yeah. pay you the big bucks, Ryan. Not that you do get right, paid big you. bucks. But and no, it's very good. that doesn't necessarily mean... Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's, it's, this is good. I'm really interested in this. Well, I was just going to say it doesn't necessarily mean that there don't are that the, you know the the government of Russia and the government of the United States or the, the you know, Biden and Putin, everyone to look at it, aren't at odds to certain at certain surface level things, right? I mean, obviously, I think that they do have issues in regard to Ukraine or protection of the Donbass people. I mean, these are all real issues. But yeah. the larger discussion of the Great Reset and the way this all seems to be going, COVID nineteen, pandemic treaties. It kind of seems like behind it, they're all, it doesn't kind of seem, they're all on the same page, you know? So it makes me wonder whether this is more convoluted than I even thought it was at the, to begin with, you know? But it, then, it, then it kind of comes back to the larger point about what's happening right now on the ground in Ukraine in regard to, you know, getting in the nitty gritty of it, the actual p- actions on the ground, the Azov movement and what they're doing and whether that's part of an agenda against Russia or, you know, it just gets really convoluted. But to your point to the very beginning, it, it, it definitely does seem like we are inching closer and closer, if not already there, into some Cold War scenario that everybody everywhere seems to be taking advantage of. I mean, they were even just talking about, I mean, the, the NATO is one part of it, but that the discussions of, uh, what was it again? I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the point all of a sudden, but there's all these different points coming out about these other countries driving in the agendas that moments ago seemed like they weren't as important or weren't being addressed the same way. It's, it's very convoluted, but I definitely think there's coordination to some degree. And, I, and I've been thinking on that for, for months, no doubt. We talked about this before. The result of um, the... Ukraine conflict has has been basically it's it has suited the architects of the Great Reset agenda. It's going the way they wanted to go. Hey, listen, the Bank of England chairman has been accused of scaremongering when he talked about an apocalyptic food shortage coming down the line. Uh, Ryan, is that scaremongering and fearmongering? Is it part of an agenda to terrify people, or is it? genuinely true might we be heading for rationing and things that they haven't seen in this country since uh, this you know the second world war what do you think in my opinion 100 percent both 100 wow. percent. it is simply that they are trying to use what they're creating and that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not other factors driving it maybe they picked up on as like christian westbrook for instance would discuss like a, a natural cycle of these things happening over a long period of time but that they're they're focusing on something that is clearly happening and i think they're driving into reality and then when they point at it they want you to be afraid of it they want you to be aware of it but then coming around the other side and going you're fear-mongering don't scare everybody to then make you go well is it an agenda or you know to make you confused about what you're looking at but what is real is clearly what is happening i mean 
it's a there it's whether manufactured or not there is a very real world example of rising costs food shortages i mean this was happening during covid-19 and even then it was even more embarrassingly obvious i mean good example by the way to step back into covid was when or i mean it wasn't even really covid related but it was during covid where they claimed there was a cyber attack on that the meat the meat plants remember or the, specifically one meat plant and all of a sudden it shut down and there was all this big discussion around it and then that same day they were talking about meat shortages in the stores. That's ridiculous in and of itself because yeah. what about what was already on the trucks and so on? But then the, the point being is that a couple of days later it turned out that, well, they weren't really under threat. They shut themselves down to be safe in case of so on. You see how that worked? So it wasn't even real. And, th and yet they were screaming food shortages. So there's a narrative being spun. But I want to be clear, I do think that there's real-world examples. We see the gas prices, right? We see this stuff happening. Look at the baby formula discussion, right? The, you, that's a choice being made. FDA, it comes out as making, you know, basically creating the situation based on the illusion of a process, which creates a shortage. Is there really a shortage of formula? I don't believe so. On top of that, do we even really need formula? And we're talking about breastfeeding and so on. You know, it just I think it all comes down to a control over the food source, which just is simply a control over your life. And I they to your main point, they want us aware of that. But they to to the to the degree that they can blame it on something. As I keep jokingly saying, anything in the world you point at right now it's a problem, you're gonna it's either Putin or Omicron. That's yeah, it. That's Those two right. things cause everything you're dealing with, you know. Ryan Christian is our guest, the last American Vagabond.com, the founding editor. Please, I know you check it out, folks, if you haven't, if you're new to this program. It's a great website and it's really good journalism. It's ethical journalism, right? Um, declaring things to be true when they can back it up with evidence. I, I really uh, appreciate that. We're going to jump around a few important subjects. I'm desperately keen to get your thoughts on your Supreme Court and this abortion row, which I kind of don't understand. So we might come to that in a few moments. But in a few moments, but you did mention the pandemic accord, which would um, it's a plan to give the World Health Organization uh, autonomy to give them control over pandemic planning for the entire world. And it's quite plausible. In fact, it's, it's almost odds on, as gamblers would say, that after this weekend, 190 countries will have agreed that the World Health Organization can, in the future, order lockdowns and vaccine mandates for the entire planet. Is that right? Well, yeah, and that, that's the important point at the end there is that they've always had, and as we saw during COVID, the, you know, you can't challenge their guidelines and so on. They've always had the influence to, you know, their, their, their stated purpose is to guide policy, to stay, you know, here's what we suggest based on our research, based on our understanding of what's going on. But the whole point is what they keep saying. Now they want a treaty with teeth, which gives them the ability, as you pointed out at the end, to, to force those actions, not just suggest it and then have the governments force it on their own peoples, but have the WHO actually be the, the arm to, in, in, to enforce these via sanctions, via direct legal action against governments, against individuals. This is what they're actually discussing. There's two different things happening right now, though, is that they we're talking about the pandemic treaty. Which, which would arguably, based on what they're discussing, give them the ability to force these things. But they're also amending these health regulations, which is, is different, but I see as one and the same. Because ultimately, right now, they have all these different regulations and, and, and the processes which they conduct what they've already been doing. And weirdly, and I think obviously, they're updating the regulations first, because until they have teeth to enforce that, well, they're just, they're just recommendations, aren't they? Well, once they then next pass the treaty which and agree upon the treaty, which will arguably give them the ability to enforce it, well, those regulations are now suddenly much more ominous because it got more severe. And like you see where this goes. And to your point, this is the end of sovereignty. 
right? I mean, I, I just saw we, people, I'm sure everyone has seen the Scott Morrison discuss, the, where he just got called. Basically, they addressed it in, a, in an interview where, as, as actually Pasta from the AM wake up show I just came off of made the point. It's very obvious that they waited until a few days before it was about to happen before they finally asked him a question about it. Yeah. But but the idea being that he basically said openly, yes, I agree with this. And there, his point was, and this gets a little more scary than even just being able to enforce it, basically saying that this gives them the ability to say, let's say, a bad guy country. That's kind of what his sentiment was, is having a pandemic. They don't have the right to hide that from people. But see, the, the underlying assumption is that we know for sure what's happening. Matt, let's just take Iran, for example. Let's say tomorrow, let's, or let's just say a week from now, a month from now, once this allegedly pa or passes, I hope it doesn't, but I'm pretty sure it will, they can then turn around and say, well, we think, based on our research, that Iran is dealing with a pandemic. Who cares if it's even true? So now we have to, they have to allow us to force our way in to do whatever we were going to do anyway. Now, whether that's intelligence agencies and NATO ID, it doesn't even matter anymore. There's coming from a, a supranational idea of being, saying that we now have control over whatever we're saying we need to do if we al allege there's a pandemic. Like even, even to the actual treaty itself, it says inside the discussion that what they're actually going to begin to do is prioritize the funding to people that speak out about what they're dealing with. All that's going to do is drive people to lie about dealing with pandemics to get funding or even worse, create the lie to be able to drive in control and then also still get funding. I mean, yeah. let's, we know this stuff happens. That's what governments do. This is chilling to me because about four years ago, Richard Haas, the chair of the Council on Foreign Relations, gave a speech somewhere. I, I have the audio somewhere. I used to play it quite regularly. And he talked about World Order 2.0. You'll remember this. Yeah. And he said that World Order 2.0 basically means a world where nations don't get to do things within their own borders that have an impact on the rest of the world, that there has to be consequences for those nations. Now, this predated COVID. And now the more I look at what happened during COVID, he was basically saying that, you know, he did mention one potential scenario, like a country might burn fossil fuels, which might, you know, obviously exacerbate climate change. And he said, we can't allow that. There would have to be, you know, consequences for countries who do that. I think back to what Haas was saying, and, and it's coming... It's coming home to roost now with, with terrifying things like pandemic treaties given a body. I mean, you, you would have been chastised online over the years um, because of what you do as being a crazy conspiracy theorist when you talked about the desire for global governance. But sure, this is exactly. what it is. Oh, it, quite literally what it is. Yeah, I mean, chapter they're not hiding that anymore. They're, they're just saying, well, it's good. Now, it, now it's good for you based on narrative. Yeah. So now the thing we screamed was fake news up until seconds ago is now what you need. You know, and, and th this is how it always goes, whether it's vaccine passports that were like, I mean, th that's that meme we keep showing where it's in 2020 vaccine passports were dangerous misinformation and anybody spreading that needs to be stopped. Yeah. Jump over to 2021. Anybody challenging vaccine passports are spreading dangerous misinformation and must be stopped. It's like, how do you not recognize how ridiculous that contradiction is? They can't you can't have both, you know, and, and I'm glad you brought up that point because this is. The pandemic is obviously where they're going and the, the impetus for this or how they're justifying it. But you're, to your point, it goes so much broader than just pandemics. It's about whatever they want to argue, whatever they decide is for your best interest. And usually that's not even what it actually means. It's just the narrative being spun. It's actually counter to your interest in most cases, and they'll force it in, whether that's climate change stuff. I mean, it doesn't even matter. I mean, and that, to everything we're talking about here even pandemic related or even broader, as you pointed out, the real next step, which is going to be the most alarming, which is why they're laying this out, is the technocratic 
per, the surge, the digital IDs, social impact, social impact finance, social credit scores. I mean, all this is happening right now. So they're going to create a situation where they lay the framework to be able to, to say you have to do this for everyone else's best interest. Then they add the secondary part of that, which is grading you on whether or not you do and then affecting you in other ways, whether you're allowed to get on the bus that day or buy groceries or basically, I mean, you, you know where all this goes. Yeah, we talked yeah. about this. The social impact investing is the third angle to that. And that's not that that's that goes beyond forcing you to take action in your life. They then gamble on whether or not they can drive you to take certain actions, both good and bad. You're now they're treating you like the chattel they've always seen us as. Yeah. And you become a commodity. You become tradable, don't you? Exactly. Ryan Christian is our guest. It's funny, um, massive. Not It shouldn't be massive. But a big story here today is that a 17 year old soccer player has come out of the closet to say that he's gay. Um, and that he wants to tell the world his story. Now, it reeks of narcissism. He's 17. He hasn't played a senior game yet. But um, out he comes. And, of course, they've rushed to um, acclaim him and to affirm him on social media and on the legacy media, television and radio. This is great. This is great. This is great. And you mentioned social credit there. I made a joke at the top of this programme. that I joked. I, I thought it was funny. It might not have been funny. But... It actually really isn't a joke, really. I, I imagined in the future how if you rush to social media to affirm somebody who uh, declares themselves to be trans or non-binary or comes out of the closet as gay or whatever, or who, who, who has done something to offset some aspect of climate change, um, you might get rewarded for that. Like you might get discounts through this social credit system. I made a joke about this, but I'm thinking about it now. It makes perfect sense. You know, you get double points today. You, you went online, Ryan Christian went on Twitter to congratulate one of the Kardashians for, um, for, for telling her son that he's non-binary. Uh, well done. Uh, way to be progressive, Kim. You might get uh, cinema ticket discounts. I mean, it's, or, yeah, I mean, I, I would take, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because it is sort of ridiculous. It but is, the but point <laughs> is, you're right. It's not that far-fetched. Now, no. I would go further than just tickets. Yeah. I'm of the mind, like the food. social credit You score. said food. Well, yeah, like, but the point is that whatever the commodity is, yeah. you're going to be graded on whether or not you take the right action, permit, praise the right topics. Yes. Just like you're saying, this is not crazy. This is no. happening in China. In fact, by the way, it's been happening in this country and the UK for a long time now. They just don't call it social credit. They just do it in different ways behind the scenes, but it's about to be right in the forefront in the very near future. But to comment on your point there, I mean, and this is so funny because I love talking about things like this. They're supposed to be contentious because <laughs> I don't shy away from it. And yeah, people yeah. hate that. But the point is that it's it's ridiculous in my mind. I, look, good for him. If you want to if you want to come out and tell the world what you think you are, or what you believe you are, or what you are. I don't Good for you. Good, good for have good for taking the you know, having the courage to do it. Blah, blah, blah. And I mean that. But what's funny about it is. We're at a point in the world where that's not crazy. It's not that's not contentious anymore. No, in fact, it's actually cares. the opposite. It's not yeah. courageous to come out and say you're the thing that everyone already said is the best thing ever. And we're all going to support and you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's almost as if like if I came out today and said you know what's a good example? I mean, I you I could make a thousand examples. The point is that it's not courageous to come out and toe the line, right? It's courageous to come out and say something that you believe in that is not popular. Right. That's courageous, whether it's a good thing or not. If you if you believe it and you come out and challenge and have the courage to say it, that's what should be promoted. But this person coming out and saying it is just a, it's a social virtue. Or it's a virtue signaling kind of thing, even if it is something he has a right to do. It shouldn't it should be a very commonplace thing. 
a person says, oh, I, you know, especially today, trans, gay, whatever, it's everywhere. Yeah. So the idea that it comes out and gets promoted, it feels it feels artificial to me. Now, let me ask you this. Did Not that he did it, but that it's the way the media promotes it. You know, did he get any kind of benefit from that? Did he get change, position change or jump to varsity, whatever it's called? <laughs> did anything happen it's a, after it's he did a, that? It's a brilliant question. No, because he, he has played one senior game. He's a youth team player, but... But you're on you're on the right track there. What he's gotten out of it is fame and yeah. an immediate Wikipedia page and thousands and thousands of Twitter followers and affirmation from people telling him how brave he is and how he has, you know, progressed soccer, how he's moved soccer on. None of which is true. We we know that there, there, until today, there wasn't an active professional soccer player, you know, currently playing who is out of the closet. But we know there must be many because, you know, in any population, there will be a percentage of people who are gay and lesbian. Um, but I would argue that maybe soccer players are not out of the closet because maybe some of them uh, don't believe that it's anybody's business. They believe it's their own business right. and it's not something they should be discussing. But yeah, he has had, um, he's been rewarded for this. Yes, yeah. no doubt. Well, but what's interesting though is that, you know, okay, so. T taking just what you said there, like the fact that there's not a single player that has been, you know, which I guarantee there's plenty, that's yeah, just, you know, no statistics, that, that, that they haven't done it. Then, I mean, I would give some credit there for, you know, taking, you know, maybe there's a, oh, maybe he could speak on how the soccer community is weird about that. I mean, I could see that. But here's an interesting point to put it, to, a way to put it. Let's say he's not a soccer player. Let's just say he's some guy on Twitter. Is it the same thing? Would he get the same credit? Would he get the same point? You know, it's, it's like it's a point system, right? It's, it's more valuable. Yeah. It means more because he's in this position, which you could argue to a small degree that it does on a social level of, you know, showing people it's okay. But I go back to the same point is that we're not in the same world we were 20, 10 years ago. It's very different today. And it's, it's just everywhere. I mean, we have policies being enacted for a, a point something percentage of the population that rep, that infect that affect most of the population in in tra in regard to trans right we're passing policies that affect a broad swath of the population that that is only applied to a very small percentage that's of it right. that's, that doesn't make sense it no. just doesn't negatively that's what I see stuff like this as yeah policies to you know to allegedly protect a so-called vulnerable trans population who are not vulnerable and who don't need protection, but those policies negatively impacting the great majority of people who are not trans. Great guy, uh, University of Kent called Frank Ferredi, who I interviewed before on this programme. He talks a lot about that, how damaging it is in society when you pander to and appease minority yeah. cultures and you prioritise them above the majority. Ryan Christian is our guest. Look at how time bloody well flies when Ryan is on. An amazing writer and broadcaster. Find him at thelastamericanvagabond.com I mean amazing, by the way. It's superlative of me to say that, but he's terrific. I love his work and that's why he's here. Help me understand the abortion rage in your country. I thought that if someone wanted to have a termination, and before I shut up and get out of your way, I'm conflicted on abortion. I really am. Um, I'm not a virtue signaller, so even though it might sound, what, what what I'm about to say might sound like I am, but I'm not. I don't feel I have the right to tell women whether they should or shouldn't have an abortion. However, I, I prefer that people didn't have abortions. I'd prefer they didn't. I'd prefer that people who didn't want to get pregnant took measures not to get pregnant. Uh, women, sorry, who, who would take measures. And I'd prefer that if they did, you know, they might consider putting the baby up for adoption or whatever. But look, I understand it's very, very, very complicated. Um, right. This Supreme Court stuff, you know, rolling back on Roe versus Wade, and this is putting women's rights back uh, decades and decades. 
what's the truth? I know you're going to give me an objective, you know, overview of what's really going on. Has it set women back decades, do you think? Well, I, I mean, it's hard. That, that That's sort of, I mean, personally, I think that your, what your question is, what's currently happening and has that set it back? Yeah, pretty much. Well, technically, we should point out that it hasn't, you know, happened, happened. I mean, there were still, this is still up in the air, I argue, right? But at the same time, the conversation around this, let's just even jump to the argument to say that they rolled this back. I mean, look, the, the, the problem for me is, and it, I, I'm, I very, I respect the stance you take there because that's where we should be, right? Where everyone has their opinion. Everybody. And and you have a right to express your opinion and say, you know what, I think you're a bad person or not yeah, yeah. for taking certain said action. Right. That's what we all have the right to do, except today they're taking that away too, free speech and all. But the point is that it, it the, the, the legal aspect of it to say, like, for instance, I'm a Christian. Right. So from a Christian standpoint or just from my personal standpoint, I, I don't like the idea. Yeah. And I've said this before many times. I don't like the idea. I think that it's I would never do that personally. And I would. I, but but at the same time, let's put myself in the situation. Let's say I find myself in a situation with a girlfriend that does get pregnant. I would ultimately let her let I would give my opinion, but I would say it was ultimately her decision. Right. The bottom line comes down to that. Everybody does have the right to make their own choices about their own body. And you have a right to be upset about that or disagree with it. But see, like so if it came down to asking me directly what I think, I would think that it's it's I, I don't agree with it. I think it's wrong. Yeah. But I think a woman or anybody a woman's in that position has a right to make their own choice. And the government has no role in that. Right. That's the problem for me. But nonetheless, you can come back to this. Because, again, this is one of those topics, even to be quite honest, I was talking about earlier this morning, like a, like the free speech topic. It's very clear to me what it should, the, where the line should be drawn. But I also acknowledge that it's a very hard line to walk. When you really push those lines and you get put in the positions, you know, it's difficult. But most things are that are worth doing, you know. So my point is where we are today. I believe that, well, first of all, that the only reason this even got driven into the conversation is because they knew it was a classic wedge issue that was like cemented in the identity of both sides of the false two-party paradigm. And they knew that this would cause distraction, knew that this would drive up the, you know, people are, people that have been pulled into that conversation are not even talking about COVID or Ukraine. Absolutely right? Right. I think that's obvious. But I think where it's going to ultimately go is that this is, let's, let's just say it, it comes to the past to where they roll it back. I, I, what I think is frustrating to me, you can disagree with that and say, well, that's crazy, that's wrong, but it's the way that the process is supposed to work. I mean, this is the way that our supposed demo democratic check and balance process is work. It's working the way that it's set out to work, right? They've made a decision. They're not breaking the law. They make the ruling and everyone loses their mind because they just disagree with it. That shows you exactly where we are today. It's not about right or wrong or facts. It's about choice politics and making your side the winner. You know, see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's amazing that it's become this contentious thing that they're trying to overthrow things and, and you know, become a fascist country. And it's like, this is the process. You know, if they ruled the way you liked it, you wouldn't be upset about it. No. You know, it, it's just interesting to me. And um, I suppose we, we've got probably just under five minutes left we can finish on this. I, I've, I'm 47 now. I've been a journalist since 1998. And uh, it didn't, it wasn't, it didn't exist in 1998, 1999, 2000. This, um, um, how do I put this? This state of affairs where people um, have become so almost violently, in some cases violently, um, opposed to hearing anything which challenges their own 
worldview. I I never saw this coming. You know, I had some wonderful arguments on live radio with people, you know, with very, I would have said at the time, very extreme views, not just, you know, about religion, about geopolitics. And, uh, but there was never any sense that I should be outraged that they would say these things. I was just more interested in why they would say these things and they were interested in me. Now we have a kind of a, a new generation of people who want to obliterate from their field of vision and from their field of hearing anything that they don't like or that they don't believe to be true. That doesn't bode well, really, for for the future defence of our you know, of, of our freedoms, the right to say what you want to say, you know, the right to think what you're right to think. It's, 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 it's horrifying, really, that people would try and have you destroyed. I mean, you're Ryan Christian. You have the last American vagabond.com. You're a writer, you're a broadcaster, you're self-sufficient. But I know that if you worked for a company and you went into the office every day, you'd be gone now. You'd be fired. You know, somebody would object to how you feel about something and you'd be right. gone. I mean... We're in a bad place, right? I agree. I mean, and we've been watching this build. I mean, I think I think I, we might have you and I even had a discussion about this. I forget when when how long we back we go, but yeah. that 2016 was very obvious, right? We and I and it was happening long before that, but for me, it was a really obvious moment. The election and the way it was going, where you saw this really interesting hyperbolic dig in of the political sides where it just got ridiculous, right? It like facts didn't matter. And I think that's what we continue to see escalate from there forward. Right. But the, the idea that it, it didn't even matter anymore. It was right versus left. And everybody who wanted to support Trump would ignore anything that was negative about it. Anyone that supported Clinton would ignore anything that was negative about her. And they would just shout down. And, and, and we, we all saw that. I mean, we even looking back, we can all acknowledge how ridiculous that got crowd sizes and just the most nonsensical things just just to have an argument. No, they're too stupid to count. And that's all that's all that happened. Right. And I, but I think that was clownish. But it became much more serious when it became things like forcing injections and and, you know, denying scientific research and, you know, all these different things. It's just it's incredible. But you're right. We're in a very dangerous path. I mean, let's not forget, by the way, the, the I forget the, one of the previous Bilderberg meetings. I think the, the most recent one, one of their talking points was the post-truth world. And I mean, That's I'm talking right. like that right after that, we saw this all kick off to a degree that got clownish. You know, where the truth didn't mean anything anymore. It was just narrative. Now, to take that a step further, I, I don't think I think that's almost an illusion. Now, it's my opinion, but I'm starting to ask today whether or not we are just yelling into the wind like people like us are sitting here going, look, we all see this. This thing's dangerous. They're lying to you about Ukraine. And most people are back here going, yeah, yeah. Why does why don't why doesn't everybody see this <laughs> when we don't even realize? I mean, we do to agree that we have this majority behind us. And we're still buying this mainstream idea that there's this, you know, that we're yelling at these people. Do they, are they even there? Are we just literally yelling back at the government and we just haven't yet realized that we all see this? I, I think we should start asking these questions because I've never seen, again, COVID-19 exposed that lie when you saw that number stall at 50%. That's right. People were being threatened and attacked and they had to literally fire, threaten, attack and censor people to get them to take an injection. And that was 50% land, right? So most people in this country, I believe, do not buy the narrative. That keeps me up nights, that, wondering about that, screaming into the wind. Uh, Ryan, it's brilliant having you on. Folks, if you haven't uh, checked out thelastamericanvagabond.com, do. Uh, Ryan and uh, the other writers on the platform are terrific, and they ask very challenging questions in their articles. They don't 
always provide answers. It's not their job, it's their job to ask uh, questions. So do check out thelastamericanvagabond.com. Thanks for sharing your time with us, mate. I really appreciate it. And I, as always, I look forward to next time. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, brother. Ryan Christian, folks, thelastamericanvagabond.com. He's a top man. Thanks again to him. It's time for a tune. A tune, I tells you. Tom Petty, I think. Indeed it is. Back with more after this. Good to be with you. That is Tom Petty and Running Down a Dream on the Richie Allen Show. It's coming up for 12 minutes to the top of the hour. It's May 17th, 2022. I'm Richie Allen with you Monday to Thursday at 5 o'clock UK time. And I do a little show called Sunday Morning Melodies at 10 o'clock on Sunday. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Please do. Vivisection says that, that he or she recommends a new documentary series called The Viral Delusion, which is in five parts and it's on BitChute. The Viral Delusion, I've given it a mention. I, I always tell the truth here, I probably won't check it out. Only because I don't have any bloody time. Thank you, Pandora. Bruce asks the question, he poses the question, do events not seem like they are swirling into a funnel? Perhaps we are to be the witnesses and participants to a true paradigm shift. For any established structure to collapse, there is a certain amount of chaos, argues Bruce. There is a definite process in place. It has been for a long time now uh, to compromise people as to their spiritual, emotional, mental state. Hopefully, we can remain true. Thanks, Bruce. Paul says, back in the early 80s, I would have conversations with guys in their 20s who were fresh out of college and university and they would want to shout you down, condemn you and be rude to you for having a different opinion to theirs. It's been like that for a long time, Richie. Just simply not mainstream, unlike now. Thanks for that, Paul. Yeah, of course. I'm not saying it was perfect back then. Of course, I should have said it wasn't perfect. But um, nobody was calling for people to be, you know, disappeared from the discourse, you know. I, I remember speaking to people with views that were considered to be extreme on things like politics, on things like race. And nobody thought it a good idea to, 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 to ban these people. You know, and you fast forward quite a few years. I, I interviewed David Duke some years ago and there was outrage over this. Outrage at having him on. And that eventually moved on to where outrage was being expressed against mainstream politicians or outrage was... There was outrage when they came on this programme because I had hosted people considered to be persona non grata. I never saw that coming. I didn't. You might say you're naive, Richie. Didn't you have many an interview with David Icke and Jim Mars? Yes, of course. And I listened very intently to what I was being told and I engaged with it. But I suppose, I naively maybe, I just didn't see 
this happening. So when I began to do this programme, particularly this programme, which uh, started back in the autumn of 2014, it really did surprise me at the anger that I would speak to somebody like David Duke or or somebody else from the so-called uh, far right. It was just unheard back in the day that these people would be would be banned, you know? Now, we didn't bring those people on radio shows back in the day just to stir the shit and to get people annoyed. No, we didn't. We were genuinely interested. I've said this on yesterday's programme. We were definitely interested in why articulate people, you know, seemingly sane people, would um, hold ideologies that we ourselves found to be insane. So the whole point of speaking to people was, you know, really, why do you think that? Now it's, no, you can't do that. Hayden got in touch with me last week, Hayden Hewitt, who I love dearly. He's a great friend of the programme and and does a lot of good things for the programme, including the website and stuff. And he said to me, it's kicking off again on Twitter, Richie. Some Jewish people started attacking Hayden on Twitter because of his friendship with me. Hayden tweeted something about meeting me through uh, the people's voice. He came down. I invited him down because he was, you know, the public face and one of the co-founders of LiveLeak. I said, come down and have a chat with us. He came down. He met David Icke. Um, Hayden didn't think one thing or another about David, really. Other than he found David to be polite, but, you know, he doesn't share David's worldview. He didn't think very much of of, of uh, David's worldview, but, he, you know, he enjoyed the conversation. He went back up to Manchester. And I think he was reminiscing on Twitter about, you know, if anything good has come out of the last few years, something like that, it's been my friendship with Richie. You know, I met Richie and he's he's been a good friend to me and he's, you know, Hayden's been a good friend to me likewise. And they piled in on him, properly piled in on him, some Jewish people, or some Jewish Twitter users. Uh, I should say allegedly Jewish. Uh, one of them definitely was is a Jewish man. Um, because that's not acceptable. Why? Well, because Richie Allen is an anti-Semite. Well, well he isn't. He's interviewed some people who have some questionable opinions about uh, Jewish identity and Jewish people, but, but he doesn't agree with those people. But, but still, it's not acceptable. You know, we say it's absolutely unacceptable. You should not say that Richie Allen is a good guy. He couldn't be a good guy. He's not a good guy. And you are tainted by association. Now, Hayden has got very thick skin. And uh, he, he's not easily put off by stuff like that. But that's just a little, you know, a little... I suppose a, a small story, because it doesn't affect me. I couldn't give a shit what people are saying about me on Twitter. Um, but that sort of thing is going on all over the world. You shouldn't employ that guy there. Why? Well, because he said that Black Lives Matter is some, you know, sinister organisation funded by groups of people who want to negatively transform society. Right, but that's his opinion. Is he not entitled? No, he's not. He should bend the knee 
and he should say that Black Lives Matter is a great thing and, you know, I'm ashamed of my colonial history and, and all of that shit. That's going on all over the world, that, you know. This complete in, intolerance to the point of going after people to destroy them. That's what Hayden was saying to me. He said to me, you know, some of these people, there aren't many of them now, you're talking about a handful. They want to destroy you, Richie. Because you interviewed people over the years who, who have said that Jews are a grubby, rodent-like little race of people who are hell-bent on controlling the world. Now, I have heard from people over the years who have said that, but I don't agree with that. And I've stated I don't agree. But it doesn't matter. You gave them a platform. You're evil. And you should be destroyed. You should be banished. There should be no place in public discourse for you. You shouldn't be allowed to have a radio station, which I don't. But but that's where we are now. I'm just talking about myself, not because I like to talk about myself. But that's a kind of like a pristine little example of where things are going. I'd hate to have teenage children now or children turning into adults, especially if they had any inkling as to what's going on. Because life would basically be impossible for them, you know. It's, um, never saw that coming, where somebody would be uh, targeted for destruction, not just because of an opinion he might have, but because he has associated somehow with people who have opinions that are unpalatable, uh, opinions that are, you know, unacceptable. That's, um what you're kind of battling against day in, day out. You, as much as me, it doesn't matter. It's not about me. Anybody who wants to have an online presence, this is what you're up against. I don't have so much of an online presence anymore. I don't really have Facebook. I'm gone. A personal account, I closed it down years ago. There is a Twitter account, but I don't use it. I don't do bit shoot. I don't do any of that sort of shit. So it doesn't really affect me so much. But um, yeah. Hey, listen, a big shout out to my guests to uh, David Vance. Find David Vance. Find his podcast on any of the podcast providers. You'll find it, Spotify, iTunes. And thanks again to the last American vagabond himself, Ryan Christian. He's a, a top guy. He never says no. And he's busy. And he's often tired because he's busy, just like me. He does a lot of work preparing his own uh, broadcast and his podcasts and his uh, website. But he never says no to, uh, to your BBG. And I'm very grateful for that. I will speak with you again tomorrow at 5 o'clock UK time for Wednesday's programme. Thanks for being there. Look after yourselves and one another. Bye.